0: Hey everybody, welcome to Glitchy Pancakes, real talk about the world of fandom. I'm Jesse. I'm Allie. And I'm Rob. And today we're going to get into one of the perennial, evergreen, never-seems-to-go-away conversations in science fiction and fantasy, the so-called canon of science fiction and fantasy. (laughs) We have two fantastic guests with us to help us um, have this conversation um, once again. (laughs) So uh, first joining us from the UK, the author of the excellent gothic fantasy Under the Pendulum Sun. Winner of the 2018 Sydney J. Bounds Award for Best Newcomer at the British Fantasy Awards and winner of the 2019 Astounding Award for Best New Writer, an award which used to be known by a different name until it was won by our guest, Jeanette Ng. Jeanette, welcome.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me here.
0: Yes, thanks for joining us. And also joining us, we have the Regents Professor of Science Fiction Studies in the School of Literature, Media, and Communication at Georgia Tech where she researches and teaches science fiction as a global language, crossing centuries, continents, and cultures. Her books include The Future is Female. Welcome, Dr. Lisa Yazik.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm glad to be here today.
0: Yes, thank you for joining us. Um, so, yeah, the canon, that's what we're getting into today. So why don't we start with a little background on this topic? Um, Lisa, if you maybe want to start us off, what do people typically mean when they refer to the, quote, canon of science fiction and fantasy? What are they oh,
2: Right. So, boy, it's, oh. right, it's like canons in any kind of literature that when we're talking about the canon. And, and I want to make clear that at this point we're talking, right, the canon, a singular canon, because later I'd like to talk about multiple canons um, nice. and what that might mean. But for now, right. When we talk about the canon, we're talking about the, the received body, of the body of work that supposedly uh, both uh, exemplifies the best of a community, in this case, an artistic community, a speculative artistic community. And that um, also embodies and, and presents to everyone else that community's values. Um, and wow. so we have a series of artworks that are generally agreed on by people who are considered experts in the field. And we can talk about how you define what constitutes an expert in the field later, right? And this is supposed to be a, a shared set of standards um, that are generated by experts, whatever that means. And right. uh, this in turn produces a set of works that everyone agrees that if you wanna try to negotiate this particular genre, you have to, to know um, in order to successfully understand everything else that's going on in the genre.
0: Okay, so, yeah, it's kind of like um, what people would consider to be if you're talking about a literary genre, what people would consider to be the must reads um, in order to. Right. I think another way
2: we can think about it, right, is anyone who's ever taken a literature class um, from high school to uh, graduate or even postgraduate studies is it's the finals reading list. Right. It's the big reading list of the stuff you need to know to be one of the cool kids. I'm just gonna throw in here that I hate Harold Bloom with you know like all the passion of my
1: <laughs> life. Well, we were
2: going right for the who, who, super classic who, um,
1: definition.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Who, who, yeah. I will, um contextually he, he um he wrote the book called Literally The Western Canon. Um and I think uh, I like the the kind of the bit about the canon that kind of really gets in my craw is, is the idea that it's not just embodying the values of, of, a, of a given group or culture, um, that it's also meant to be there to perpetuate and evangelize those values. Yes,
3: right.
1: 100%, so right. You're, you're yep. meant to teach them to, especially when it comes to kind of like outside of SFF, um, that you you have to teach them to children so that they can um, in like you know, internalize the values of your great civilization. Like, oh, right. Ugh. right?
4: Well, it's it, problematic, it's right? It's a very it's, limiting yeah. framework. Right.
1: Well, yeah. it, it's a very limiting framework to understand even the works in that that I like. So you know, if you mm-hmm. read, say, Beowulf as a rah-rah support the troops narrative, it's just boring. Yeah. <laughs>
3: like,
1: <laughs> it, I, I don't even want to say whether it's a cor- the, the correct reading because I don't, you know. <laughs> I, I don't really go for that way of reading text, like reading books. That's that's not, but but it's just a very boring way to approach a story. To go, what is the moral of this story that I must <laughs> now go forth and embody in my life?
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, now there's there's a a ton to a ton to unpack with this, especially when it comes to the uh, like how the supposed canon um, represents and propagates uh, values in particular. But I guess before, uh, I, th- I think probably most of us have some objection to that being the case, but uh, right. before we, before we get into that, I think it probably bears exploring, is there some value um, are, are there pros to having something like this? Like, is there an actual benefit to having something that's considered to be the canon specifically as it relates to science fiction and fantasy, just so as not to completely dismiss the idea out of hand? Do you see any good sides to it?
2: So I'd like to. I can talk about historically why I think science fiction got itself so invested in a canon, if if that helps at all.
3: Oh sure. Um, yeah. And
2: and I think that you know this is a, a possible pro is that it does create a community and an in group of and and sometimes that's necessary. Um, Right. And so, for instance, at the beginning of science fiction as a modern commercial genre, and I'm talking about necessity within the idea that people were going to create a modern commercial genre. I'm not talking about anything else right here. Right. Right? That Gernsback really consciously, when he published the first specialist science fiction magazine, Amazing Stories, in the 1920s, he set out to build a canon because he was trying to capture an audience. And he thought if he could come up with some sort of shared stories that everyone could enjoy, right, that that would help create that community. And he's very deliberate and very honest about what he's doing. And, Hmm. you know, I kind of want to give him a tiny bit points for being really clear that he's building um, a community that sometimes he pretends is an aesthetic community, but he's often very honest as a commercial community as well. Um, And I think that that's sort of interesting. So, uh, I would say that the people who created those canons um, saw value in it, often economic as well as cultural. I, and maybe that's still true. I, I think that's definitely true that,
1: you know, in a kind of broader sense of ca- canons, like I think we, we are influenced by the works that we read and tracing influences, because no matter what, whether or not you hate these tropes, they, they, you still exist and breathe and think in them. And right. an understanding of where they came from can be very illuminating and interesting, um, especially if you are in conversation with them. Right. Well, People, Your work in that context.
4: Right. Well, isn't it a, um, a, bit, of, a bit of an issue sometimes when you have uh, uh, canons where there are characters who uh, may look like you or they de- they're described as you are described to look like you or you know maybe uh, in that way and and they're not treated properly they don't talk properly they don't have any of the kind of of, of things that you see yourself having it it, it kind of takes away from that whole i guess commercial side of it because i don't want to give my money to those situations where they have characters in them that aren't like me and it kind of alienates me from that community.
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. That's where feminist science fiction and science feminist science fiction criticism came from, right? Was was right. that moment of not recognizing that. Um or those moments of aesthetic uh displeasure, right? Like Octavia right. Butler talking about how she watched double girls of Mar- Devil Girl of Mars and was like, oh come on, please. Right. Do better. So there's there's uh, other right. ways. And you know, just one something. the but- oh, go one. Yeah
1: sorry um, communities are created partly through exclusion like even commercially um like if we're talking very like there are loads of like you know it's it's why you get pink marketing like um, why you have the girl thing the boy thing because that way you want to drive a certain sense a certain group of people away product because it reinforces the brand identity. So, you know, you mm. make this pink, so it's more, you, you make girls more likely to buy it and boys less likely to buy it. But it's okay to not make the money off the boys because you, you make the girls double down in their identification of it. And it, it's, ah. it, it's insidious and, and, and bad. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that like, if we're talking about in terms of commercial product creation community, um,
2: that, that is arguably incredibly intentional. Yeah. Um, but you know, and then sometimes, right, it's even trickier, because sometimes it's outside that, like, I, I recently, I was thinking about Mary Shelley's place within the canon, right? And th- I think we can all oh, agree that there is a canon, Mary Shelley's somewhere in it, mm-hmm. yes, sure. as a founding parent, right? Um, and, you know, that wasn't always true. Gernsback certainly didn't recognize her as a founding parent, for instance, and God knows John Campbell did not. Mm-hmm. But you're right, it was, it was uh, Brian Aldiss who first made that argument in the 1960s and I recently learned from a friend of his um, and I'm allowed to retell this story so I'm excited about this because I asked. <laughs> um, well, because you know you, you wanna be polite about people's stories because this is so insightful. So right. what had happened was like somehow, oh, as science fiction was becoming um, a quote unquote like legitimate kind of a discipline to explore especially in academia, right? All of a sudden it had to start constructing a canon in history again. And so yeah. those debates were coming up again, but amongst scholars like uh, Kingsley Amos and, and Brian Aldiss and people like that, scholar practitioners. And everyone was arguing for various fathers of science fiction, Edgar Allan Poe, you know, um, Jules Verne, right? H.G. Wells, whatever. And so just to piss everyone off, Aldiss was like, you know what? Maybe it wasn't a father. Maybe it was a mother of science fiction. So the reason <laughs> apparently we now see Mary Shelley as the mother of science fiction is simply because it was like, a sort of academic like side jab at someone you know and uh, I, mean, I think that's really interesting in fairness i
1: argue for margaret cavendish for basically the same reason right 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 and i would say that same thing there's a certain um, level of contrariness when i say margaret cavendish um, <laughs> oh she's great though i mean my goodness oh she is oh fant- fantastic fantastic yeah. um um, you know, uh, um, posh as fuck, very imperial, very problematic. But but I just really I, I do have a very a soft spot for the whole. I'm going to write poetry about atoms because you know
2: um, because you won't let me just, in your in, in your um, in your, your, your silly chemistry. Strategy. I'm so I'm I'm so based, Jeanette. I just like that there's like a s like the mental three-way between her and herself and herself's husband. Like it's really great. Like it's so freaking weird. Oh. And you know, real estranging and yet, you know, <laughs> super cool. <laughs> between that and the like alien invasion stuff, you know, I mean all the bioweaponry in there, it's cool. I'm also quite into
1: like her whole her just just the Mary Sue fantasy of I'm going to you know there's this there's this magical kingdom full of animal people and bird people and I rule over it and I make debate theology with me all day and do science like science and theological experiments and I'm like yes that is a fantasy that I can be into I too would like to be rule over a magical (laughs) and kingdom full of animal people who who have like fandom debates with me all day and I get to win because I'm queen. Uh, I I, I can just
2: see being into that. Like, you know, selfishly. (laughs) And then, right, doesn't she, like, she decides her philosophers are losers because, like, they can't really acknowledge and write about her brilliance. So that's why she goes back to Margaret to find Margaret Cavendish because she knows only another woman who's exactly like her will understand her brilliance. It's like, it's the best... I mean, and you're right. This should be the founding story of science fiction because it's so much more interesting than like Mopey Victor Frankenstein, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there's joy. I love the joy of it. You know what I mean? I don't want science fiction to be founded on a depressing story about like people killing each other and right. denying each other joy. Yuck. Yeah. Um, um I, I want the metaphysical alien three ways, dude. I mean,
0: for <laughs> real. <laughs> Let's get to the good um, stuff, right?
2: Yeah. We just found no, your topic for your next book. It is. <laughs> like, like
1: if we're talking Mary Shelley I'm just much more excited by um um you know that her last man book um, yes
2: mm-hmm. yes
1: Be- just just it, it, it's more I I think like the the agony like the, the tragedy of it is more acute. I, I mean I can't you know it, it's very it's just it's very biographical um uh for for people who you know not aware she it's it's like um Mary Shelley you know after her husband died she wanted to write a memoir about him she wasn't allowed to by her by his dad because it'd be too scandalous she changed all the names and wrote it as a science fiction um novel about the f- so it's like the steampunky like what we would call steampunk now world with like airships and it has this massive plague that kills off everyone on, on earth yeah and, and everyone tries to go to the Mary Shelley, but gender swapped yeah. um Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it it's it, it's like this airborne plague, and everyone dies, mm. and the prime minister <laughs> fucks up um, containing it. Um, they go to, um, and yeah, she says she wanders the earth alone. Like, well, he as the main character yeah. wanders the earth as 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 the earth is the last person, like being sad about all their friends being dead. Um, and and it is a tragedy because Mary Shelley's friends are indeed all dead at that point in time and it's very easy to lapse into this kind of biographical reading of it but point is it's just it's more interesting to me like it's it's so melodramatic
2: and weirdly relevant for some I was gonna say don't you think it's also weirdly relevant because there's also it's like environmental disaster too is what brings on the plague so even in a time when we're not in a plague it feels really timely I think I mean you're right it feels like like, I'm just not that worried about our cyborg creations getting beyond us. Cause like my Siri, man, it can barely do anything. And,
3: um, <laughs> I mean, can, you know,
2: so I'm the robot revolution. I'm not worried about that, but you're like, I'm way more worried about last man scenarios for a variety of reasons right now. So I know it certainly speaks more to me that way. Do well, I mean, you think yeah. also the drama is better? I haven't read it in a long time, Jeanette. You think the actual like plotting of it is better and stuff? It might um, be she was older. It's pacing is very
1: weird. Mm-hmm. Like. Like in a, because it's like well, the first half of it is just solid like Regency melodrama with barely a hint of SFF bullshit um, and then suddenly there's this kind of creeping plague, creeping plague, creeping plague and then bam everyone's dead um, and everyone just dies like it, it's, it happens very quickly. Um So it, it's like by from a modern reader I think it's, it's a kind of odd because it, it really goes into with the, the kind of internal drama of like, you know, Byron and Shelley and like mm. people's sisters, married, secret mm. affairs, et cetera. Um, but it's, which is very juicy if you're kind of in it for the Byron gossip. But
3: mm-hmm.
1: I, I can see how that can, you don't survive that and you don't kind of read to the end of the plague.
4: I wouldn't be <laughs> in the, the Byron SFF. gossip.
0: <laughs> that's a whole different podcast <laughs> that's different podcast right there I'm then. definitely in that I'm going to go whoa, and query that just for yeah. sorry are
2: we, we talking about you, the canon again He
0: said the, you said the <laughs> well and speaking oh, of uh, we're
2: disrupting it right it's like there you read you the go. Right. Right. Listen, but but don't read her canonical work read the weird one read, read the movie, weird stuff right?
0: yeah and
2: that's <laughs> one of the canons like, right multiple canons weird freaky like rhizomatic canons
0: personal <laughs> I, canons I, yeah
2: like yeah I think it's sort of we want to talk we we kind of
1: I think in in the kind of we there's a desire to kind of tear down um, and kind of say oh yeah dismiss kind of old works very often and say oh no I don't need to read the canon which is fine um, because you don't have to read old works Um, but I think very often when we kind of talk about the canon in that context um, we often end up overlooking um, because we, we end up having to rhetorically simplify the canon in order to create almost the straw man to say oh yes it's everything written in the past is terrible and stupid um to make that point and then we we, you lose sight of some of the more interesting works um which aren't technically part of the canon um in the sense that you know people don't talk about Mary Shelley's other work that isn't Frankenstein we don't really talk about like the other potential foremothers of science fiction um Mm -hmm. and And like even if you say want to talk about like I don't know um, Campbell like to me his contributions are most interesting when we talk about his editorials because that's where his politics and his kind of his intentions for the genre are most naked and in some ways I find his legacy is less in the specific stories that he selected and more Mm -hmm. in his selection criteria um, yeah, The way we talk yeah. about genre today is very shaped by his intentions, like yes. um, hard and soft science fiction is shaped, like e- even though mm-hmm. you can make a very good argument for why hard and soft science fiction are concepts which aren't really relevant to what gets published right now,
3: mm-hmm. people
1: still use them as terms. We still talk yeah. about science fiction as being a genre of what if, and that too, mm-hmm. as far as I'm aware, comes from like the way Campbell shot for stories. That he 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 would mm. tell people mm. to write what if stories, mm. um, and and kind of and that kind of lingers mm. in in how we discuss oh this is a genre of what mm. if,
3: um, right.
1: and, and that I'm not saying we aren't but it's it's a way of thinking of genre that is arguably very limiting if mm-hmm. like there are a lot of stories that don't quite fit into that paradigm,
2: mm. um, yeah. or at least yeah. don't sound yeah. interesting in that paradigm, right? Yeah, now we get that um, from. Our- Germs back too. If you even go back, write a few more decades, because he was always like, you have to write fifty years hence. So it was always the fifty years uh, hence, five hundred years hence story. Then right. it creates a temporality and a sense of linear progress um, that may or may not, you know, do us a lot of good in science fiction storytelling.
0: Right. Yeah. And I wanted to um, touch on a point you made uh, earlier, Lisa, about um, the Gernsback in particular uh, creating, you know, wanting to create Mm -hmm. a sort of set of shared stories so that, um, you know, in order to create the community. And I was thinking about Mm -hmm. how that, uh, the the eventual result of doing that and what it evolves into, because that community absolutely Mm -hmm. has been created. It's massive now, in fact. Um, Mm -hmm. And so what happens when that, that it, that's no longer a requirement. This doesn't need to happen in order to create a, um, right, a community. Right. It ends up, it seems, creating a mm-hmm. sort of gatekeeping, and and, and people want oh, yeah. to. they create they want to com- right. create a community within the community for right. the quote yeah, true well, fans, you know.
2: Sure, yes, right, all of this. Um, and then on the other hand or the third hand or the 13th hand or whichever one we're on, right, like you, <laughs> not everyone does know the community, right? Every semester I teach at least 35 and sometimes 70 students who, who at least two thirds of them don't know the community. And I'm not saying you have to learn the canon, but they're there to learn something about what is science fiction. And at some point you have to pick a t- group of texts that are gonna represent your version of it. Um, right. And that's scary, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting because Jeanette was talking about Campbell building a canon. I try to spend a lot of time talking about that as a, a pivotal moment that we do and don't have to acknowledge. Do you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. uh, it's tricky, like you gotta somehow teach around it. So, Other Campbell, but, um, uh, Joseph also kind of did
1: also did some interesting things huh? too. Um, yes, it is Joseph, Um, um hero mm-hmm. of a thousand faces Um, yeah yeah and and it's it's alleged impact on star wars and consequently it's alleged impact on all storytelling
2: is um Mm -hmm. i don't know if i call it canon because (laughs) in in the sense i call it a canon at this point i call it like a hollywood canon don't you think like hollywood really loves that story
3: yeah
2: yeah Yeah, like i i think it's i i just i have a weird discomfort around that word but
1: it's definitely a thing of like oh yes you know if you want to understand what the fuck we're doing with storytelling these days and what's something to hate on here 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 is a book of oh well
4: where, where do we go what, what what women
1: can't go on journeys guys
4: right women why, why do we it? evolve from this
2: oh well, i have I, I know a wonderful up-and-coming scholar who is actually reworking joseph campbell to account for women and non-binary peoples so <sighs> Her first leg of her work is talking about the shero's journey rather than the hero's journey, which sounds both dorky, but it's actually compelling and it completely is interesting. Right. Um, and it doesn't explain everything, but it 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 does. It gives you an interesting way to construct. I hate to use the word, but I want to do it. A feminist canon of science fiction. Right. Uh, but one that is doing a very specific kind of feminist work against certain ideas, like Campbellian ideas of heroes. But right, this is the other problem: is it's not just like white dead white guys like John, Joseph Cam- or John Campbell who made canons. Um, I you know this is part of what I've looked at too: is that feminists make canons and right. And I think we see people both building and tearing down, like uh, Afrofuturist, for instance, canons right now of mm-hmm. fiction. Like there's a lot of canon building activity. Um, lost
1: transmissions uh i, I mean I'm, I'm biased to the book because I, I did contribute an essay to it but mm-hmm. uh, it's a it's a fantastic kind of um yes uh, is a good one. kind of which talks about like so-called lost quote-unquote canons of science yeah fiction, but basically yeah. kind of things that have especially non-literary written works things that have had yes. a lot of influence in the world of science fiction they've inspired mm-hmm. um um, kind of have derivative works based on them and have influenced science fiction, but we don't necessarily talk about in the same breath as something like Campbell um, or even Mary right. Shelley, um, because they're they're kind of well, you know, it's like music videos, um, <laughs> fashion, architecture, right? Um, but but yeah. they are part of like writers are influenced by them, uh, and yeah. like I know I'm influenced by a lot of things that aren't other writers. Like other mm-hmm. fictional, like fiction writers, and mm-hmm. and and that these things kind of build, like if you're kind of looking for the inspirations and the the, the giants on whose shoulders you stand on, I think that's, mm-hmm. um, it, it's a very interesting work. Um,
3: um
1: and, and we're getting some acknowledgement of like non, um, like Dirty Computer being um uh, nominated for Hugo was notable, for example. Yeah. And the dean. Right,
0: right. The deep is I excellent. Was, we'll put a link to that. Yeah. Uh, all these things we're talking about, we'll we'll go back there and comb through them and put them in the notes for the episode for anyone who's yeah. listening, so you'll be able to find them. <laughs> yes.
2: One one thing that's interesting, I was actually just going back and I had to look at the 1971 Hugo and uh, Nebula nominations because we're doing we're we're up at our 50th year of science fiction at Georgia Tech, so we're you know thinking thinking about these kinds of things, and actually, um, uh, Star, Jefferson Starship's blows up against the Empire was up for a uh, Hugo that year, so um oh, wow. personally i prefer dirty computer but it's interesting there's actually this i was surprised there's a pretty like as long as you've had rock music and you've had the hugos you've had rock music getting nominated for it um you know and again oh. you know maybe a more sort of yeah i don't know it was interesting i was surprised i'm not surprised of course when you see like david bowie and parliament and stuff like yeah. that but i i yeah. thought I'd, I'd never thought about jefferson starship as a science fiction uh thing but their name is starship yeah. so
0: uh, um
2: i was like wow okay totally missed that one for how many years of my life that was strange um, they even what? dropped
0: the jefferson for a while too right
2: right
0: um and that's um one of the big uh issues with this that um i'd like to, to Dig a little more into if we can is is about um just the idea of who chooses you know what the stories that that became and the and mm-hmm. the authors that 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 came to be considered um quote canonical I always have to air quote it I, mm-hmm. I can't I can't say it with like in, entire seriousness but um the those those were chosen and um like you both mentioned there are editors like uh hugo gernsback and uh and John Campbell who contributed greatly to that and Therein lies one of the, the the main issues that I have with it with the very idea is because those those stories were chosen, like what was available for people to read or at least what was given the marketing and the publishing support and all that was chosen by people who um, had their own beliefs about things and their own backgrounds and their own choices as far as um, what they thought people would want commercially or what they thought like Jeanette mentioned uh, the politics of Campbell um, oh yes we've definitely got some Campbell stuff we can talk about too because um, I was I wanted to make sure that everybody who's listening knows the story of um, why the uh, the award that Jeanette won in 2019 is now known as the astounding award uh, Jeanette would do you like to tell that story or would you like me to <laughs> um I mean I, I can um it, it
1: it was just, I, I have, a, um, I, I, I suppose I have a certain, like, I, I didn't go up and I, I went up and I basically just started my speech with, you know, um, um, John W. Campbell is a fascist. Um, <laughs> without any preamble, I just, just said it. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and the thing is, I didn't expect anything to change. I, I just, it was just one of those moments of like, well, he is, I might as well say this. <laughs> Um, right. I, I, like it was one of those moments. Like, I didn't make, I, I didn't really have a I was sitting there kind of thinking, oh what should I say, what should I say What should I say, and I was like, well I should probably point that out um, And I, it was almost like a joke In my head because, you know, we all know this Right? Um, and turns out It's not as common knowledge as I thought I, I didn't even think it was controversial Because <laughs> like Michael Moorcock's been like Writing angry editorials about him for Years mm-hmm. um, But yeah, I just really didn't expect anything Change, um, didn't expect anything some of it but um I, I, but yeah
0: but, it did but and, it did and, and, I, I didn't yeah. basically nothing. Um <laughs> and now that that gamble award is <laughs> right and so and that was a that was an example of um in my opinion of, of sort of updating because there are a lot of people who would point to um the stories that that campbell put out there um as you know sort of a, a gold mine of, of what's now considered uh, canonical by some people um but there obviously there are problems with that because of who he was and therefore how he chose stories and um the name of that award has been changed um and that that's sort of an example I think of how uh it, it this stuff can be updated i mean at what point do you say these these older works are now so old that they're not necessarily the most relevant things anymore and that kind of change is possible but uh, as and lisa as you know that it's it doesn't always come easy
2: it, no it <laughs> It, 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 you have to reinvent the wheel more, I think than any of us would like to do it 's actually pretty it 's surprising like people are really entrenched in the stories they have about what science fiction is and isn 't and right. it's um, it 's amazing you can bring all sorts of evidence to the table and yet it it just literally doesn't it doesn 't seem to move the needle all the time um you know and maybe this is just a point we 're at in culture right now because I think there are other parts of culture where we could argue this also happens um yeah. but it it is interesting to me in science fiction like Right, I've done this recovery work. So for instance, you know, I've now published two, three books where I've talked about how, yeah, you know, obviously uh, when I've recovered stuff around like women's work um, um, around the time of when Campbell was at the height of his powers, you know, one of the things we forget is he was not the only game in town. Um, and there was a super lively science fiction scene around him. And there were networks of women who were like, once you got rejected by Campbell, like you were in the network and all of a sudden people were networking you out to the other magazines. And, um, and and you know, like Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction um, published stuff that didn't look like what Campbell celebrated. So... Um, I don't know where I'm going with this, people. I, <laughs> I, I just wanted to make this point that, that you know what, that we have canons, but not just canons of books, but canons of history. Right. And that this is why I like to recover the history. It's a really much more complicated, you know, scene than you might see. And I think we need to understand that because otherwise we don't know where change came from. Right. Right. I, I, th- um, I think
1: um Cameron Hurley wrote the essay, like, We Have Always Fought. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Kind of what a great essay. I, 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 mm-hmm. I think we, we just, we're very attached to the idea of being, Especially for like when it comes to kind of people in minority or marginalized identities, that like red hot idea of being the first, and mm. and it only ma- mm-hmm. and, it, and only the first matters. Yeah. It's like you know who's the second yeah. um, right. um, science fiction writer, or like you know who's a woman. It's like, right. we have Mary Shelley. That's it. Um, yeah. Feminist credentials proven. We don't need to talk about any other ones. And we right. kind <clears> of <throat> I think we kind of get a lot stated in this idea of oh, now, like, I, I feel like I hear this every other year. It's like, now is the golden age of women publishing science fiction. And it's like, yes, it That's is. True. But that doesn't mean there weren't anyone 10 years ago or 50 right. years ago or a hundred years
3: right. ago.
1: Right. There's always right. someone writing, um, sure. e- even if it wasn't very loud, but, but sometimes it's louder and more interesting than you think because right. we yes. have a bad habit of yes. just pruning history. Um, yeah. And, and you know, there, there are plenty of like writers now who are like, you know, I, I was writing 20 years ago. Don't pretend I didn't, I don't exist. Right. Um, it's like, you know, ah, uh, the 80s yeah. had no female <laughs> science fiction writers. Right. I'm very, very sure
2: they did. <laughs> um, right. You know, um, I think- Or, or like, that's... you know, um... sorry, go on. Oh no, I was gonna say just, it's, I, I, yes. I mean, like that's exactly how I started doing recovery work. Cause I, I was gonna get ready to teach a science fiction class. And I'm like, surely there had to be someone else published, right? In, in these time periods, besides the same people we always look at. And then when I started looking at like the anthologies, the scene on the ground was way different than how we represent like, it. Like it is more lively and diverse like that, so.
4: Right, um, I have a, um, a a bit of a question. So uh, I know it's a dumb question, but where in the hell do we go from here? <sighs> Where do we go? How do we evolve? How do we step up? Oh, and I me, mean, other than Coma here, because we haven't even talked about uh women who've ghost written stuff for people yeah. or have written under different names, male names, to get their names out. Um, where do we go from here? From this point, since we're we're in a, a place where uh, Jeanette can get up and say, you know what, I'm going to say something, and it's kind of a joke in my head. Everybody knows it. And then a change happens because of it, which I think
1: I am is- incredibly touched by it by the way. I, I don't want to make fun of it. I, I right. make fun of it only because I think it's hilarious.
4: Right. I mean I and think and I it's think
1: good. It's a, it's a good thing.
4: It is. It's a fantastic thing, but I think that's how those things start. Someone says something like they're supposed to, or they they, they feel it in their heart to say something, and it creates a ripples. Um the, the domino falls. Uh but where where exactly what are the first steps? Of trying to rectify the situation in terms of canon and how to, to kind of get around that. right like how how fans to teach in particular. beyond
2: okay it well teach beyond tokenism and create canons that don't rest on this kind of tokenism. It doesn't have to be just one woman uh, a generation or you know one author of color right as is, is right. and you don't always have to teach. Um the obvious choices either I don't know if any of you know the uh mundane Afrofuturist Manifesto, um, but it's really wonderful and what you you know, and part of that that mandate is that as we increasingly teach and celebrate and read black authors, could we please think beyond Octavia Butler and Janelle Monet for five seconds? And right. I love them both, but point well taken, right? So yeah.
0: mm-hmm.
2: you, you gotta uh... teach teach beyond.
0: Right. I was going to mention that that brought to mind um, one of our um, guests on here. She's been on a couple of episodes, uh, Cherie Renee Thomas, who's uh, also now the the new editor at the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, um, which is really looking forward to that. But she edited um, the series of anthologies, the Dark Matter anthologies. Um, The first one being Dark Matter, A Century of Speculative Fiction from the African Diaspora. A lot of really good resources in there. So I just wanted to Plug out one real quick because that's something, you know, that's, that's 30 authors. It definitely goes far beyond Octavia Butler, great right. as she is.
2: Yeah. But at the same time, it's old enough now that it is part of the Afrofuturist canon and part of like what Martine Sims was taking on, you know, in 2013. And I think that's cool. That's not a bad thing, right? We mm-hmm. want to be able to have these debates. Like we want to have so many great authors out there. We have to argue about who counts and who do we teach and who do we read and celebrate.
0: Right.
2: Flood the market.
0: Right. <laughs> See that—that um, I, that I like. That's that's, that's short <laughs> to the point. That's but, what we need to do is flood the market.
2: I, I think I'm always but, kind of
1: vigilant. So go on. No, go on. I, I just meant like I, i'm very vigilant at conventions and things when i overhear someone going like oh yes i'm a new i'm, I'm new to the genre what would you recommend and i don't know if someone mm. says snow crash you kind of yeah. I, I need to like charge <laughs> into the conversation and go
2: right there are other books right. <laughs> <laughs> see love
1: that
2: market, um, Jeanette yes yes absolutely um, I've not read Snow Crash. I'm sure it's great. It's just—it's <laughs> actually, it's actually pretty good. I got to say, It is pretty good. Yeah. So there, there is just
1: this certain, like you I don't just have hear to it in it. the voice of new fans. Occasion when they show up and they're like, you know, they're they're given a reading list, and you're just like can can we not can we not do this sure. no not, and, not no Crash is always crashes especially on list, when it's like a sure. young black fan or something and you're like yeah. oh you've just like recommended them like a giant list of white writers half of <laughs> them are dead are you sure yeah. you want to do this
0: <laughs> yeah um and and sometimes- you
1: have to match a black fan to a black writer but it's just right. at some point
0: <laughs> um, right but don't only um, bring up <laughs> De, De Heinlein and, and asimov and, and yeah. frank herbert and stop there um,
1: I think that's, um, I was kind of thinking about like how we compare, ca- like compare and construct canons sometimes, mm-hmm. how especially certain white writers, uh, especially the older, deader ones, um, they end up being these kind of cultural touchstones who we compare something to. And, and mm-hmm. we kind of end up with a situation where you're more, you know, he- here's, a, here's an author of color. Um, you will compare their work uh, to, I don't know, June or like Tolkien, mm-hmm. but you're not going to do it the other way around. Right if you see what I mean, like I you're going to hmm. say, Oh yes, this, um, you know, you're going to compare, um, um, you know, you're going to say, Oh, you know, this person is writing like the Afrofuturist game of Thrones or something, but you're not going to comp something. Um, and, and, and partly that's kind of the, 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 the perceived age and prestige value, but it's kind of this weird thing where every time you compare something to game of Thrones or whatever, it gains that or um, black mirror, maybe like you, it gains right. that, cultural touchstone level of like this is shorthand for this thing this is like the founding work you compare things to um and that is a that is a privilege that we reserve almost solely to works by like that are kind of western fantasy like western sffe kind of like because they're perceived to be generic they're like perceived to have no like the whiteness of them is seen right. as bland rather than mm-hmm. as having a actual or default imprint.
4: Yeah.
1: yeah. Like a yeah default. Right. Yeah, sorry. That's what I'm looking for. And 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 so you kind of like, you know, you might come um, and, and I think that's the way we talk about and compare. Um, I'm not saying that you should compare every new writer to the and call them the new NK. Right. Um at some point we need to I, I can I can definitely see why people have a discomfort of comparing a white writer or or, or a capisci writer of a different um, you know subculture or group to 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 someone who would like to work it isn't um, right. because you can make it seem like oh well these two things are nothing alike what are you talking about this yeah. book is set yeah. in feudal Japan that book is set in feudal China what are you talking right. about
3: exactly um, so I get
2: it <laughs> yeah but but it's also <laughs> yeah. It's
3: complicated.
2: So I, I, it, it, it's super complicated. And if I've, I've been thinking about this because I've been trying as a cultural historian to imagine what how do you tell these histories without putting the same people as usual at the center. And mm. so uh, one of the things I've tried to do recently is um, sort of is uh, I'm, I'm retelling the history of American science fiction and, and, and started either starting it with Poe or with Mary Shelley and her influence on people like Poe. I've started it instead with Phyllis Wheatley, the African-American poet. Yeah. And once you do that, you get these really interesting effects that first of all, I found I had to redefine what constituted science fiction and that was fricking brilliant, but it still worked. Like I could still make it work, but I realized all these things we're talking about. Like if you shift that locus and if you look at different local realities, it's like, so what was her reality as an enslaved black American feminist? And it's really different than like either Mary Shelley or Edgar Allan Poe. And it leads her to, a science fiction, it actually leads her to Afrofuturism. She invents the star child and the mothership basically. Mm. Um, but then all of a sudden science fiction looks different because all of the sudden it's like all of these slave owners like Poe and Hawthorne were obviously copying techniques that they basically learned from an enslaved black female poet. And all of a sudden the dynamics wow. of science fiction look different. Yeah. And That's I mean, amazing. yeah, yeah. well, let's see if anyone publishes this. I'm working okay. on it right now. We'll see what other people think. But I, I think like, it's there and it's crazy. Oh, yeah. uh, got to
4: edit that out. It's, so <laughs>
2: it's really changing. It's hard to write though, because it's like every step of the way, I don't know where I go next. It's like the histories fall, up, they fall into this very different order. It's good, but it's it's um, it's um scary. You know do, what? It is. And, do you have other and I wanna do this.
4: Do you have other academics to bounce off of? And
2: Oh yeah, 100%, 100%. Right, right. Um, Like my writing partner is actually the first person, he's been publishing extensively about Phyllis Wheatley as a science fiction author, as an Afrofuturist. So I got all his stuff to bounce on. Oh, um. Nice. um and he got that technique from me. So like, it's, we have a nice little <laughs> incestuous thing nice. going here. It's good. But <laughs> nice. no, there are, a great, so it's not me crying in the wilderness. There are other people who are trying these um, histories as well. And they're fun, but they're very fractured. And, and, and I'm curious to see if they go anywhere. Do you know? I hope they do.
0: I, I hope so you as well. I hope so too. I'm, I find Phyllis Wheatley, Wheatley particularly fascinating. I, I teach her to my uh, the bomb. to my high schoolers. Um, and actually, did that. Uh-huh. I, I got permission from the school administration to specifically not teach, in particular, Poe and Hawthorne that I was supposed to teach. Nice. <laughs> oh, that's
2: brilliant! That's brilliant. But, She's but much I much more no, interesting.
0: Oh, well, absolutely. And I, I really want to read what you're going to what you're going to write about that her as a science fiction author, and especially you know, one of the progenitors of, of Afrofuturism.
2: I actually um, already gave a public lecture on it. And I can, um, once that's posted and made available, I can share that with you. And then you can share it with other people here. Um, if people just want to go check it out and hear oh, the sort of do. audio first draft oh, of it, right. because I'm looking for feedback. I'll, I'm happy to okay. take it. This is like, weird ideas. Everyone come help me build this weird history. Yes.
3: <laughs> I, I, I love it. No,
2: well, you know, where does it work? Where doesn't it work? Um, what histories do and don't want to be spoken. Sometimes histories don't want to be found. Um, and there's that to deal with as well. Yeah. Right. Which is sort of where, so the, the entire thing that I'm sort of gathering from this is that pretty much canon has only existed because of, who, well, it exists in a way that is defined only by a certain subset of people right and we're trying to redefine canon on uh both the personal and hopefully societal level to to bring more attention to all the different things that are out there um is it also generational
3: yes (laughs) yeah
2: Mm. so so it's going to change and evolve constantly
1: like i i think um uh Don uh who um who said like the agent who said that like he thinks most of this coming generation of SF writers, their primary influence is going to be anime. Oh, yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um yeah. That,
1: Like if you want to understand them, yes. you just have to watch anime. That's that's to be. Right. What it's, what
0: it's there, yeah. there are some um, authors writing in, that, are, that are right now that you can clearly see the influence. Alex White, um, V.E. Schwab. Yeah. 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 Um,
1: also, um, Chaos Not Rivera um, is is very anime um, <laughs> in an excellent way, um, and 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 like that's. Uh, and and I think that that's that that is a generational thing in a way because you you if you're a kid at a certain time that's that's how you catch yeah.
2: it on TV, yeah. um, but well, it makes sense. People have recently, right, done like sort of video game oriented science fiction narratives. You see that certainly yes. all over Hollywood, Absolutely. but even in writing, like Ready Player One being the obvious one, but there are other other ones.
1: Oh, what do you, Ready Player One's so weird. It is. I, I just don't <laughs> understand the
2: mind that writes it. Like, yeah. talk about a movie about cannons talk about a movie about
3: cannons yeah i I don't
2: Mm -hmm.
1: i I know this sounds really weird but like i just i I just don't understand that you know i you know the character i don't know walks like sits in a a spaceship and drives a spaceship and he and the the, the narrative voice is like, I felt like Luke Skywalker piloting in X-Wing and Ender in blah, piloting a blah. And like he just lists (laughs) off a bunch of random famous SFF characters in spaceships. (laughs) But that's the thing. That's literally the only thing these characters have in common. It's not like a commentary on this character's emotional or mental state in their personal character arc. It's just, I am in
2: a spaceship. These characters are also in spaceships. The end. Well, they're mostly white. They're they're mostly all white cisgender oh, dudes. Know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> they like got a lot in common, man. Because like every one of them, they're all the
4: same. Right? <laughs> all the, same. the hero's journey. It's the
0: hero's I'm gonna, journey. I'm to need my mic.
3: <laughs> the best. Uh, I think one of the best things I've seen
0: about this whole thing being generational is uh, Meg Ellison has a wonderful thread about the the, the canon subject. um and She's one of my favorite writers, and. uh <laughs> she she said um as, as part of it you got to read the whole thing for context and i'll put a link in the show notes but she said um we're in a new golden age one where ssfh is variegated and diverse and spectacular the classics of genre are like those old cookbooks you see in screenshots some timeless dishes <laughs> lots of jello salad and ham wrapped around bananas <laughs> oh. <laughs> <And mayonnaise> dip <laughs> those
3: books
1: angle comes in as well though because some of those cookbooks were sponsored by mayonnaise and jello.
4: Right, yes. you're
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. and, and they were very much there to convince you that
2: you really, really need to buy mayonnaise. Yes,
4: you really have to use <laughs> this then, to keep your bananas into. You have to.
2: No. And then it creates canons of food, like right, like if you don't have a Jello with something suspended in it, like you're just not a real American or something. Like they're
4: a real right. modern. Oh, my ass is not <laughs> a real American food. Oh, no,
2: I actually, I, we had a friend, a British friend, and when she became an American citizen, she she was having an American party and making, you know, purposely exaggerated American foods. But she had read about jello molds with things suspended in them, <laughs> and she didn't know that meant food, so she put toy soldiers in it, oh, because yes. she thought that would be really cool. Yes. <laughs> Which it was cool. but you the know. most American <laughs> thing ever, actually. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that alone we thought, right, granted her citizenship. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> my,
1: my, my thought of um, jello is always like, you mean like Tudor Jellos, right?
3: <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> evil, <laughs> mis-
1: evil milk jelly That's what we're talking about rem,
2: rem, Yeah you know Sort of the um. same thing <laughs> um, but-
0: Well I've got, I wanted to ask um, Both of you if we could as we um, Kind of reach a, reach a closing point on this What would you say to When you do run into someone who says You know what I've just heard of This whole science fiction and fantasy thing I like to read I've never read any of it Where should I start what? Um. Not even necessarily specific works, although that's fine if you have those. But what? What would you each say to someone as far as where to look, or how to look? That's a good question. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I want to think about that one for a minute. Um. So I actually do have a book I recommend everyone to start with. This is this is crazy. So first of all, I I think. I start with print i'm a i'm a print oriented scholar i'm i I will eventually start recommending you know films and games and all that good stuff but i start with print i admit it i'm a total print snob and really i'm going to argue science fiction began in print so okay that's Mm -hmm. all um Mm -hmm. and uh, for a variety of reasons um and i think even today it's it's quicker cheaper and more out of control print science fiction you can do it really fast and disseminate it broadly Mm -hmm. so i think it's important um i like to begin with short stories because you can just do more dipping in and out and start Mm -hmm. to figure out what you like and don't like. (laughs) And I think that's cool. And I have to admit, I want to give a shout out to Jeff and Ann Vandermeer's um, mammoth book of science fiction, because I think it's a, a really cool starting place. I think that it does a nice job of trying I don't think it's canonical, but I think it's uh, both diverse and inclusive and utterly a science fiction anthology, if that all makes sense. And I think that it sort of builds and explores its ideas in a smart way. And the stories are cool. I mean, I always find something new and I've been using that book since it literally came out. I just, I think it's a great place to start. I don't think it's the only place, but it's my personal place at this point in time.
0: Got it. That's a good one. Jeanette? That's it. That's my big one.
1: Um, <laughs> I am. Um, oh, <laughs> We're gonna make uh, it. Sorry.
4: it <laughs> sorry. We're gonna make I, it. I'm,
1: not, I'm hesitating because I'm embarrassed about my answer because. Oh when no! I actually,
4: like, oh no! Go, this is, well,
1: oh. Um, the, um, the 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 finalists of the Hugo's look pretty good. um yes. The last couple of years, yes. and and you know the Nebulas have 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 had some pretty good finalists. You should look those up, yes. and then just like, pass the yes. buck along. Um, <laughs> um and obviously yeah, I mean, in, imperfect can... lists but but they yeah. but they have been but they yeah. have also been very in the sense that not everyone can yeah. be on them um but but they're like i feel like they're not terrible starting places and and mm. and the and they do tend to be relatively forward-looking these days um mm-hmm. um so that's yeah. their worst places to start um, I mean, better than walking into a a bookshop and just looking at SFF the the, the bookshelf. That's a very good point. Which can be a little bit like have a giant bookshelf of Pratchett and then have some more illustrated editions of Tolkien. You know. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
1: So I, I I try to warn, like I, I end up being like, oh, this is where you shouldn't go. Like I, I would say, like don't 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 start. Like like I love bookshops. Right.
0: Um.
1: Um.
2: I'd agree like about the, those
0: awards uh, lists. They do. Those, those finalists lists, especially the last yeah. uh, handful of years have been quite strong. Good stuff.
2: Yeah. Um, They're, yeah. Oh, you know, I agree. And I like those lists too. And of course, because I'm on a couple of awards, I always am like, well, read what we put on our list. Right. Uh, so, cause there you go. You can create cannons that way. Um, another thing I was going to say, one thing I like to do also is try to pull it local. Um, and this is something oh. I think that's really important. So like, you know, if people if someone's like, hey, I just moved to Atlanta and I'm trying to figure out the science fiction scene and or whatever, or if there's any connection or any way I can do it, like I try to turn them on to people who I know, um, you know, Milton Davis and Balagoon Ojitati, who are uh, mm-hmm. two of the co-founders of the state of black science fiction, and they're based in Atlanta. And, you know, they've been both really big movers in like the steampunk movement and the sword and soul mm-hmm. um, movement. And um, They, I think, do really cool work that is both within the genre and transformative of the genre, and they put together anthologies so that is another place that I actually will recommend people go is like get something local and learn the genre from the ground up, while the living genre right like that's being built at this moment, how exciting is that
0: it is very exciting very very exciting and that's that's one of the things i love about it is that we we know that as much as we love this stuff we're never gonna run out of good stuff to read
2: that's <laughs> no yeah no um,
0: well uh lisa Jeanette, thank you both so much for coming on here and talking about this with us has been very illuminating we greatly appreciate it um where can people find you online Jeanette? you want to tell us where people can look up your work and find you online
1: um I'm I'm just on Twitter at Jeanette underscore. mm. Uh, I allegedly write a blog on uh, Medium,
3: um,
1: (laughs) which is which is all linked to on Twitter. Um, But my uh, Medium handle is nettlefish, like the plant,
2: and then a
0: fish. (laughs) Nettlefish. Okay. What about you, Lisa? Where should people look you up?
2: So um, I think probably if you want to see what I am doing with my work as um, as a science fiction historian and as a science fiction editor um, you know, trying to bring out anthologies of lost voices and voices that are outside the canon, I'd recommend that you go and check out my Amazon author page. Um, and that's probably, I never can remember how these URLs work, but I bet it's amazon.com forward slash author forward slash Lisa Yazik.
0: Okay. And we'll put that link in the show some, notes too.
2: Yeah. Um, and then, um, If you want to find out more about what we do with science fiction at Georgia Tech, like I just mentioned, we've been doing uh, science fiction studies across media there for 50 years coming uh, in 2021. You can just Google sci-fi at Georgia Tech and we will pop right up and you can learn more about uh, all the exciting things that we've got going on and some new initiatives as well
0: that is awesome we love that that program exists well um thanks to everybody for listening also um of course you can find our all of our episodes streaming online at glitchypancakes.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast app i believe we're on all of them now um and leave a review if you like what we're doing we'd appreciate it you can follow us on social media we're at glitchy pancakes all over the place um i am online i'm on twitter at uh, jesse underscore a underscore adams um where can people find you
2: I am at allie 911 It's A L L I E 911, pretty much anywhere on the internet.
0: Got it. And Rob?
4: I am the cryptid on <laughs> Twitter at E I blackout. That's I A I B L A C K O U T. And I'm on the face page as well. And I'm not on mm-hmm. Parlor. So.
2: <laughs> good yeah.
0: yeah you can't find us on there let's let's be clear we do not have a handle on parlor as a matter you of fact you
2: cannot find me at alley 911 there mm-hmm. yes
0: thank you for oh, the oh, clarification oh. rob yes, yes. Never. <laughs> well thanks everybody for listening and uh tune in next time we'll see you on the next one
3: hey, bye nice. everybody bye